0: We few. We happy few. We band of brothers.
1: We want them talking trash to Goliath. We want them building a boat and collecting animals. Everybody thinks they're crazy, and they are. I'm your huckleberry.
0: I just wanna say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody.
1: For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Behold, a pale horse. The man who sat on him was death, And hell followed with him. Can you read, my son? Well, that depends. Can you go for fighting the shade? Repent or perish. You know your places. God be with you all. all Offer all one for one then, I guess.
0: Media. Ale to the King. Well, welcome back to another episode of Stone Mountain Media. This is Dave coming to you from the middle of nowhere, western desert where it's a cool, breezy 100 degrees outside and the sun's down. Here with Sugar Sean coming to us from the, the ocean breezes of San Diego. Say hey Sean. Hey I'm in the
1: uh, I'm in the same seat as normal. You're just not here.
0: I know. I uh, I left man. How's it back? How's it back in sunny San Diego? Uh,
1: hard to complain with the uh, the weather that you have but it's extremely warm here the last week or so.
0: I think we're both hitting records from a heat wave. Uh, some of the guys from the old junk removal crew called and were complaining about 101 temperatures as I was dealing with 115.
1: 115 in the AC as you're teaching students, training the next generation is a little different than 101 uh, loading the trailer.
0: Yeah, the best thing is uh, this week, the former boss, owner of the best junk removal company in America, landed like like a full week's worth of a dirt job. <laughs> It's literally a dirt job for a week. Yeah, I got, the, uh, I got
1: the lowdown. It sounds pretty gnarly.
0: Yeah. But I must admit, when I'm walking out of my 80-degree uh, air-conditioned uh, school room to my car, I sometimes perspire.
1: <laughs> yeah, a, a story for another time. I found myself in the back of an RV a couple of days ago in full uniform, just searching for about an hour and a half and sweating like you wouldn't believe.
0: Well, well, well i uh yeah, so as mentioned, I'm in my first week of teaching over here, and I feel sorry for the the students
1: <laughs> i'm sure they I'm sure they're blessed so far by the uh exuberance you bring to the table
0: i I think that uh, a few of them are genuinely disappointed that they no longer have to look forward to Kobe's amounts of push ups as punishment for disobedience.
1: It was a good day, though.
0: Yeah. Uh so with that we are going to be talking about some bible some theology if you have managed to make your way over to our beautifully designed website stonemountainmedia.com stonemountainmedia.com a creation of Sugar sean's wife with the help of a few uh or rather one expert friend who uh does his magic in the background. Um you may have seen at the bottom of that website that we identify in a number of ways. Uh, one of the things we left out of the list was uh, jerk faces, which was an oversight. <laughs> but we got we got reformed, we got patriarchal, we got post millennial in the list, and in that list we have Baptists. So we identify as Baptists in... As you'd expect from a podcast by Baptists, we are going to talk about baptism. We're going to talk about baptism tonight, not just because we love talking about baptism as Baptists, not because we've got an inferiority complex going on with the Presbyterian brothers, but it just so happens this week that uh, we got a question regarding baptism from a listener. And so Sugar Sean and I want to wrestle with the theology of baptism together in a way that hopefully blesses that listener and any. Uh, of the other thousands uh, who who listen alongside him. So how does that sound with you, Sean? Sounds like a plan. Sounds like All a right. classic Baptist plan. So, So as Baptists, I want us to lay out our convictions about baptism in its true and regular or healthy ideal form. And then we can talk about whether or not we believe there are any exceptions or, or if there's any wiggle room with the appropriate practice of baptism Okay. Right. so starting with our ideal what we believe the bible positively puts forward as what we are to do as a matter of norm and law one thing baptists believe is that the baptized the one being baptized is to be a confessing believer that's right. So, so one one central conviction of Baptist theology regarding the sacrament is that in baptism, a confessing believer makes a public confession, an initial public profession of faith. Where do we get that in the Bible? I'm assuming we go to the Old Testament. <laughs>
1: There's a few places we can go. I can take us one place to start, and we can go from there. All right. Uh, Romans 6, verses 3 through 5. This is, uh, this is something that's actually cited in the, in the 1689 London Baptist Confession regarding baptism, but I'll read that again. Romans 6, verses 3 through 5. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up, from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. So we see here, you know, this idea that uh, baptism, this immersion into the water, and we'll talk more about immersion here momentarily, I'm sure, but this immersion into the water, this coming up out of the water, is uh, mirroring Christ the fact that we've uh, been united with him by faith. And so we, we have died in his death and been raised to newness of life in the power of his resurrection. So baptism is a declaration that that's who we are now. We are The baptized are those who have faith in Christ and therefore uh, their sins have been buried with him. They were nailed to his cross and we've risen uh, in the power of his resurrection to walk in newness of life.
0: All right, so what if, what if someone comes back at you right with an objection to you reading that reading that as a credo Baptist what if they say uh yes this is what baptism symbolizes but that works for the child of a believer as well uh because in baptism that child is covenantally united to Christ uh and the kind of the 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 apex covenant Statement of being united to Christ in the New Covenant is that He died, was buried, rose again, and so it, it it's not inconsistent for that kind of statement to be made over a child of a believer, even if we don't yet have a confession from that believer. What would you sure. say to that kind of pushback?
1: Yeah, so so I think uh, you know I'd be fine, and this is one thing that we have certainly not unique in church history, but unique in terms of talking to uh, people who would claim the title Reformed Baptist today. Uh, We don't have a problem with talking about children as children of of the covenant, even in this new covenant age. Uh, The question more so. And this is that's always been something that the people of God have have had a a dynamic with. Right. You think about uh, think about the Old Testament. Think about uh, females, for example. uh, We're not receiving the sign of the covenant uh, of circumcision. Right. It didn't mean they weren't a part of the covenant. uh, But the question comes down to uh, who does God say? that the sign of the covenant is for and what are the stipulations uh, that that person has to meet in order to receive that sign. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I think there's still objections on the table, but yes, definitely. Yeah. I'm
1: just yep. a, as a starting point. Yeah. Uh, and so from there, you know what we have to do in the new Testament is we have to establish, we have to establish what it is that's required uh, to receive baptism. Uh, it's not necessarily a sign of uh, everyone who's in the covenant, but this is the covenant sign given uh, in the New Testament, uh, in the the constant echo of the New Testament is is to repent of your sins, to believe upon Jesus and to re- and to be baptized.
0: Yeah. Do you want to go to a verse that says that?
1: Sure. Yeah. If you have one off the top of your head, I'm not flipped to one right now, but I can okay. get there.
0: Oh, my goodness. I am having Internet issues that's brilliant flip to acts 238 i got
1: that old paper bible in front of me so
0: i know i left mine uh, i left mine at school and then got home and thought nah i'm a dunce acts
1: 238 then peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the holy ghost
0: So, uh, you know, what were they to do, right? So 37, they hear his gospel proclamation. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Now, Presbyterians are going to want to go forward. And, and say, for the promise is unto you and to your children. And then the Baptist will say, amen, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Yeah, I believe the promise of salvation is for my children. And upon right. their confession of faith, their repentance, they too can join me in the baptismal waters. You know, go down to verse 41 of the same paragraph. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. So we were, and we'll go to this text uh, when we're talking about mode. But uh, Rondog, when he was preaching from Acts, was looking at Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Right. And he cited, he cited a verse there um, as, as a kind of a proof text for credo baptism. And, uh, you know, our Pado brothers that were among us had a nice little eye roll at that. But 41, one's a nice little, a nice little verse. Uh, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. You know who should be baptized? They that gladly receive his word, which connects well with two things you already said um, uh, at the beginning. One, uh, you know, we don't have to deny the unique covenantal blessing. That the children of believers uh, enjoy, even in the new covenant age. But when we're talking about a new covenant ceremony, one one that is not an old covenant ceremony, ceremony a new covenant ceremony, it is only fitting to uh, primarily uh, establish our practice of it from the new covenant. That's not a dispensational bent. Right. Uh, that's just reading the new covenant for new covenant ceremonial law. Now it's not a problem to see things connected in the old Testament to new covenant ceremony. We're going to do that. We're going to look at that specifically from a new Testament text when we're talking about mode. Uh, but, but we want to build our theology of new covenant ceremony primarily from, uh, the new Testament. And, and I don't think that a Presbyterian necessarily has to disagree with that. The question is who's putting that into practice is all I want to say. And then when you read this verse, and you go back to Romans six, uh, Romans six, you know, g- gets even clearer uh, in in that you know what is being said ceremonially, ceremonially, symbolically, uh, is not hey here's this future promise of what God's going to do for you, or it, what's being said is not simply welcome to a new political reality, which is definitely that's being said. That's not all it's being said. What's being said is in the symbol, this is what has been done for you. Child, this is what has been done for you. Though a sinner, you were united to Christ. You're united to Christ by baptism into his death, into his burial. You died with him. You were engulfed in the flood of the wrath of God there at the cross through baptism in Christ. That's what's being said. And you with him as he rose, so too have you arisen? That's what's being said of someone who has gladly received the word, the gospel, and repented of their sins.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, do we want to go through any other verses on uh, on that topic before moving on?
0: Uh, if you have any, go right ahead. Also, are you hearing any feedback on your end?
1: I am not. Are you?
0: Uh, a little bit, but hopefully it's not too bad. Uh, yeah. Do you have any other verses you wanted to hit? Uh,
1: Colossians 2 gets at the same thing. Uh, Colossians 2... Uh, Verse 12, I'm going to back up to verse 11 just for context. It says, uh, Paul says to the Colossians, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So here you have this combination of uh, the circumcision of the heart, a gift from Christ, Uh, In that uh, Paul connecting that directly with uh, the baptism, these believers uh, in the church of Colossae had received.
0: Sweet. Um, So we're, is that all you want to say there? Yep. Okay. So what we fit so far conceptually is the credo Baptist position as to who should get baptized. Someone who gladly receives the gospel, who repents, And then we've also hit what is symbolized in baptism. There's Romans 6, right? What's symbolized in baptism is that the man who has gladly received the gospel, uh, that man then symbolically shows himself to have been joined to Christ salvifically in death, burial, and resurrection. Now, uh, let's consider the the baptist position as to the proper mode the mode of baptism there are three common modes that are used in the christian practice of baptism first some traditions sprinkle babies uh, so now all the way from a, a cross on the head if you want to count that as a sprinkle to a proper palm full of water you know liberally sprinkled on a head you Know your cross would be Catholic, and, and I'm not calling them Christian, but they do baptism. Um, all the way to your Presbyterian who's going to fill up his big old palm and splash it. I think that was done to me, actually. I think I got uh, I got anointed with a palm of water. And then you have some traditions that do pouring. I think Martin Lloyd Jones did pouring. Um, it is what it sounds like. You take some kind of container of water and you pour that water over the head it's a lot more liberal than a sprinkle but it's not as liberal uh in terms of the amount of water used uh as the traditional baptist practice of baptism which is one of full immersion which actually uh incidentally coincides with the, the greek orthodox mode of baptism though the recipient of baptism in the greek orthodox church uh is a baby Uh, generally speaking they with baptists immerse the recipient of baptism so they they dunk babies and we dunk uh we dunk confessors those who gladly receive the gospel and uh well actually let me backtrack to to proper recipient because i'm about to say we we fully immerse in water uh, those who gladly receive the gospel regardless of age now, are are we in agreement on that point? Because certainly in the past, I would have I would have argued that you couldn't really hold to a proper credo-baptist position and assess the credibility of a confession until older in life where a level of independence is assumed. But I don't believe that anymore. I, I simply believe that when someone gladly receives the word, we take them at their word. We welcome them into the water. We deal with any discipline issues that arise after the fact. What's, what's your take on that?
1: yeah we're in agreement on uh, in terms of who who is to receive baptism uh we don't want to we don't want to hold anybody off from the table based on any kind of like human wisdom we want to put forward any kind of age of accountability if somebody can articulate to any clear level that we'd be comfortable with and we've had you know i've I've had interactions we as elders have interactions in our church now where uh you know we've walked people through the gospel you know heard their gospel proclamation it was not sound uh you know shared the gospel with them they said yeah I believe that and and they were baptized right so uh, any child young child who's able to articulate even a simple understanding of uh, their sin against the holy God and Jesus as the the savior of sinners and a desire uh, and a knowledge that they need to and a desire to uh, walk after his commandments we, we want to baptize and and I'm still on the same boat in terms of all people receiving uh, immersion who make a credible profession of faith.
0: Okay. Um, So then building from that place of shared agreement, we're looking at the mode. Uh, We've listed out the three practice modes, sprinkling slash water crossing, pouring, uh, and, you know, not to diss the other modes I disagree with, right? Basically any Presbyterian that I think well of, which is a lot of them, uh, just not the gay ones, would would do sprinkling. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached to his church while bombs were falling on his city. Got no shade to throw at that guy, pouring. Uh, so you can disagree without throwing shade, uh, just to make an obvious qualifier. And And then immersion, which is what we hold to. Now, why do you believe that the proper mode of baptism is full submersion in water.
1: Sure. So uh, one thing to look at is, uh, uh, you know, we want to we look at prescriptive texts as often as we can, but descriptive texts can be helpful as well. We have a descriptive text in uh, John chapter 3, I believe it's verse 23, which tells us about uh, where John the Baptist was, was baptizing. And why he was baptizing where he was baptizing. And the reason was because there was much water there. The text says in uh, John 3, 23. And John also was baptizing in Anon near to Salim, Because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. So why would you need much water? Well, because of immersion. Uh, beyond that, theologically, uh, you know, you look at something like 1 Peter 3. Uh, Peter talks about this idea that, uh, you know, Noah uh, being preserved in the ark uh, corresponds to uh, the baptism that we receive. So this passing through uh, the waters of judgment, water consistently throughout uh, the Bible, is uh, something we see in terms of uh, representative of judgment. And so we've, we've passed through the waters of judgment through Christ. So we, uh, you know, he is the ark who... Who carries us through the water, and so, uh, in that we, we have the you know the full submersion, uh, entering into that judgment, right? Buried with him in his death, like Romans 6 talks about, and then risen right. to newness of life.
0: Remind the listeners what passage that is again,
1: which which one, the last one, uh, Romans 6, uh, uh verses no. 3 through 5. And you're talking yeah, about yeah. Uh, in First Peter, yeah, exactly, yeah, First Peter 3, uh, we're looking at verses uh about verse 20 uh so i can just read it real quick verses 20 through uh 20 and 21 really which uh so yeah first peter 3 starting at verse 20 uh, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of god waited in the days of noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few that is eight souls were saved by water the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
0: Boom. Okay. So we're building out our, our text list for arguing for the proper mode of baptism being full submersion in
1: water immersion. Uh, what else do you got? What are the texts you have? Uh, another text by example. Uh, so look at John three twenty three to see how John the Baptist was doing baptisms. Uh, and that, Was not just for those uh coming before Jesus, but even for Jesus himself. In Matthew 3 16, we have text and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. So he was within the water, he came out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning and lighting upon him. So Jesus' baptism uh was a baptism of immersion as well.
0: Uh, Read for us, uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, well, actually, I, I can read it. I, yeah. mine finally loaded. I was, I'm over here trying to get things loaded ahead of time so that I don't have to wait for it when, when yeah. it gets the idea. I'm, but, I'm there uh, if
1: you want me to read it.
0: Yeah, hit us with it.
1: I got it up. Uh, so Acts 8, starting at verse – we'll start at verse 35 to see the context here. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, uh, if you remember – Uh, The eunuch was looking at Isaiah 53 at the same scripture and preached unto him, Jesus. Hey, hey, stop, 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 stop.
0: Hey, hey, uh, there's a, uh, I don't want to dog him. Uh, Okay. I I wasn't there for it, so I won't name him. Okay. You know, back in the day when I was at uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Yeah. Which is, you know, sadly you know, doing a lot of damage, not in a good way. But I was studying ecclesiology there, studying ideas like this, studying baptism. And I think literally this semester before I was there, a very good and brave man who's been in the ministry a long time and who was a dispensationalist, uh, came to the church and preached Isaiah 53.
1: And oh, he basically,
0: he, he dogged the the reading of Isaiah 53 where it's it's like directly about Jesus. He actually, <laughs> he actually spent his sermon arguing against that idea. He's but, not a big fan of Philip's preaching, I guess. Yeah, I was – exactly. So I wasn't there, so I'm not going to name him. And I'd much rather dog nine marks than this guy because he's in it to win it. I don't have any ammo to shoot his way. But – How funny is it? (laughs) Because the verse says, and he preached unto him, Jesus. It's just like, yeah,
1: yeah, I think that passage is about Jesus. It's funny. It's funny. You know, we, Dave, we were talking the other day with some guys when we were up at Grace Agenda, just about how relieving it can be uh, to just uh, read your whole Bible when you're trying to understand a certain text and to come with certain presuppositions. So, you know, uh, we use clear text to interpret less clear texts. Uh, We never interpret a text where it, it contradicts another text. We had a a brother who had somebody had sent him something about head coverings where basically to keep it short, you know, the whole argument was premised on the idea that Paul had a misunderstanding scientifically about something, which we know is an impossibility from the scripture. I mean, yeah, you're so
0: mature. You put it in like that. I, I love doing work with you. It's good to have a mature brother.
1: <laughs> <my time. laughs> but, uh, you know, here it's like Philip literally like it's not even like it's not ambiguous. We we get the text that the eunuch is reading and then philip says it's about jesus so objectively there's not literally not an argument to be made it's about jesus
0: boom so that was my interruption you're good but man Take- talk, talk about a clear new testament point
1: yeah which is it's great that's a great point i'm glad you brought it up uh verse 36 and as they went on their way they came unto a certain a certain water and the eunuch said see here is water what doth hinder me to be baptized And Philip said, if thou believest, right here's Uh the condition for baptism. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water and Philip and the eunuch, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Keep going. And when he, and when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing
0: okay so tell me why you think this is an example of immersion
1: uh well they uh they saw some water so i think it's more likely that they saw a river or a lake than a puddle um but also they uh They go down to the water, right? They both go down into the water. So it was a big enough body of water for both of them to go down into. And then we have this mirrored language uh, to when uh, Jesus comes up out of the water, right? So uh, they were come up out of the water, and that's when the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, just as when uh, Jesus came out of the water, the the dove came down and uh, light shone from heaven. This is my son uh, in whom I'm well pleased.
0: That's right. So they both go down into the water. It's a water of enough note that the eunuch says, see, here is water. They go down into it. They come up out of it. You know, to your point about you thinking it's a, it's a larger body of water than just a puddle, you know, think about uh, where they are. They're in the desert. Okay. Now, this is an Ethiopian. And as a eunuch, he may not know much about women, but he certainly knows deserts. He definitely knows water. And I guarantee you that a guy this rich had plenty of water for his journey. I guarantee you that at any point, if sprinkling or pouring was an acceptable mode of baptism, they could have just done it whenever they wanted. The guy wasn't short of water. He was an Ethiopian in the desert. Right now, I know. I've got got some friends from Sudan. And when they're out there with their camels, they don't need water. They just literally drink the blood. After pricking the neck of a camel, they drink the blood, right? But this guy's a rich dude. He's not a poor Sudanese guy. He's an Ethiopian eunuch from the the palace. He's got water. He sees water that has something about it different than the water he would have been carrying. Namely, it was big enough for him to go into and come out of, which is why I think this is a clear example uh, of immersion uh i got an old testament text to establish immersion hit me with it and hey real quick as i'm i'm discombobulated over here cuz i'm trying to pull a lot of things up uh anticipating some uh, objections i want to make if if you've literally cited this in passing or otherwise just tell me but i'm i'm thinking first corinthians 10 have you hit that already no all okay. you Do you know where i'm going yeah Okay,
1: First Corinthians ten. You just said it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you know where I'm going in it?
1: Yeah, it was a joke. It wasn't funny. I
0: got you. Hey, if you find it faster, if you find the actual verse, just call it out. Uh, ten nine. First Corinthians ten nine. Just made it up. Oh, gosh. I was like, dude, what are you talking about?
1: <laughs>
0: oh, okay. Uh, yeah, boom. <laughs> verse one. That's the problem. When you're trying to like speed find something, <laughs> you like just jump in the middle, start hopping around. It's like literally is verse one. Okay. <laughs> My Presbyterian brothers out there are like, ha, 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 ignorant Baptist. He hasn't even gone to college. <laughs> so I said I had an Old Testament passage, and you're like, well, then don't you know First, First Corinthians in the New Testament? Yes, I do. It's a New Testament passage talking about an Old Testament event. And all us Reform folk love building our theology off the Old Testament. No sarcasm. So here we are in 1 Corinthians 10 again with the New Testament telling us how we should understand an Old Testament event. So here you go. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud And in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, I don't want to get sidetracked and say everything that could be said about these verses i do want to highlight the fact that uh what is called a baptism in these verses is the historical event and presbyterians would not disagree with this they love to cite this as a jab back at baptists the fun thing about that is when one finger is pointed out three are pointing right back at you And the three that are pointing right back at you in this verse is the fact that what the baptism is, is their full submersion, their immersion in the sea. Right. Right. So all who sin and fall short of the glory of God are engulfed in the floodwaters of his wrath, in the raging sea of the wrath of God. But it's only those who are baptized who emerge as a people. Victorious, The Egyptians are left in the waters, but the Egyptians and the Israelites go under the water. The Israelites come out. True Israel comes out. The Egyptians are left. It's an immersion. To whatever degree you want to press the idea of baptism at the Red Sea, you cannot go anywhere without going under the water. So I actually think that the mode of baptism is a home run a home run. I've got Presbyterians. I love Presbyterians. I respect Presbyterians. I've got a lot of time to listen to them a whole lot more than when I was younger. All right. You catch me in college. I would have been a scoffer because I was immature. I'm not like that, but I'm telling you, I honestly think mode immersion, home run. Got Any thoughts? Total agreement. OK, so I think before we hit uh, objections and then exceptions, because I want to go basically establish the, you know, establish our principles, hit objections and then move to exceptions. So uh, still establishing our principles. So we don't just believe that baptism is for a confessor, a public profession of faith, symbolizing saving union with Christ and. Um, we, we don't just believe that the mode of baptism uh, is, is immersion. We also believe that normally speaking, and, and we've already looked at an exception with Philip and the Ethiopian unit, but normally speaking, baptism is into the church. It's done before the church as a decision of the church and into the church. That's something we believe. Now, what do you got for me? help me think through that pastor
1: help you think through it in terms of uh in terms of what scriptures or why,
0: yeah scriptures why we, why we believe that well if you don't think that that statement is clear definitely make it clearer but then yeah defend that idea from the from uh, from the bible i mean back in the day dude they called me david the baptist not because i was a baptist because man i was grabbing guys off the street man i was going around evangelizing left right and center grabbing guys off the street at midnight taking them down to the james river we're going in the water Easter Sunday, midnight, jumping in. And I was calling that baptism. Yippee-ki-yay, yeehaw, right? Well, you and I are sitting here today not believing that that's appropriate in the slightest. Right. And I was wearing clothing the whole time. That's surprising. Yeah. We're saying baptism is a decision of the church and bring someone into the church. Now this takes some more the- theologizing, right? So help yeah. us theologize through this.
1: Sure, yeah. So I'm. We've we've established already that we're baptized into Christ, right? We die with Him and we're raised to newness of life with Him, uh, yep. and being united to Christ, uh, Christ is described biblically as our head, and we are described as His body. No one individual is His body, but the body is is the church of God, and so. We're baptized into the the body of Christ, and you know that remains ethereal until you get down to the nitty gritty of a local church. Local churches being uh, visible representations of that body in a given area, collectively making up uh, the body of Christ. Uh, one place that's helpful to establish that is in First uh, Corinthians 12. Uh, it's a rather lengthy passage to get the entire uh, the entire argument, but I'll start at verse 12 of of 1 Corinthians 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are ye all baptized into one body. So we're all baptized by the same Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him and if they were all one member where were the body but now are they many members yet but one body and the eye cannot say unto the hand i have no need of thee nor again the head to the feet i have no need of you nay much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon these we bestow more abundant honor and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular." So again, uh, probably the most important thing to take away uh, from 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul starts this argument establishing that uh, every believer is baptized uh, by one spirit and are all baptized into one body, and that body being uh, the church of God.
0: Amen. Uh, do you have any other passages you want to take us to, or do you want me to throw a couple on the table?
1: Uh, in terms of this, uh, the idea of body comes up in uh, Ephesians as well. Uh, yep. Ephesians one uh, at the end of verse 23, um, you know, Paul's talking about how Jesus is uh, ruling and reigning now over all things. He's put all things under his feet. Uh, and in verse 22, it says that uh, God has given him to be the head over all things to the church. Jesus has been given to the church, which is his body. The church is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all.
0: Yeah, and that's what a great verse when we're thinking about baptism because if in baptism, as you said, we're joined to Christ, how clear is it that to be joined to Christ, the head necessarily means to be joined to his body. And, and that is not a mystical, untang- intangible, unseeable truth, but it is quite seeable every time an actual body comes together and takes the Lord's Supper under the preaching of the word. That's right. Baptism necessarily... If you just take a moment and think about those realities, joining us to Christ joins us to that kind of body. It brings us into that assembly where we partake of the supper under the preach word.
1: That's right. And just to heap it on, uh, this is this is honestly it's not we don't flippantly say it's replete throughout the New Testament. Uh, Colossians 1 18, And he speaking of Jesus is the head of the body, the church who is from who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence.
0: Amen. I got a couple to put on the table and then if we leave anything unsaid that should be said, jump in and, uh, you know, make sure a thorough job is done, Pastor. Sounds good. Uh, So I'm going to go from simplest, simplest uh, citation to uh, less simple. So simplest, I want to take us back to Acts 2. And so this is really a practical happening, historical happening. It happens because of the theology that you've cited about the church being the body of Christ. Go back to the end of Acts 2, where we're seeing baptism take place. Men and women gladly receiving the gospel that Peter preaches. And go down right to the very end, to verse 41. So not right to the very end, but to the end of of that paragraph, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now who is unto them? Well, you'll know that the early church was at one point, a small frightened church of 120 members that was gathered together in Jerusalem. The spirit came upon them at Pentecost and the church went that day, that day went from 120 members to 3,120 members and the mechanism by which that addition happened was baptism they were baptized and the same day were added unto them 3,000 souls through baptism souls are added in number to the public assembly the church the body of Christ
1: any comments great text super clear
0: Matthew 16 I'm not so uh, anti-Marxist that I can't go to the good old nine Marks, Matthew 16 passage. (laughs) (laughs) So Matthew 16, we have Peter's confession in verse 13. And uh, so Jesus in verse 17, Peter makes a correct confession about who Christ is. Jesus in verse 17 says blessed art thou Simon Barjona for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. So what's been revealed and therefore what's being confessed is the right confession coming from Simon's mouth. And it actually reflects the fact that Simon is a blessed man from heaven. He's heavenly blessed with a heavenly blessed message of truth. Jesus affirms both his message and him as a man, both being graced from on high. Having done that, he then charges the apostles to do that. He authorizes the apostles to make the same kind of really judicial pronouncement, kingly pronouncement. Like we, we, we reign with Christ as priests and kings. Here's a kingly action from Christ that we join him in. But first you're going to see the apostles authorized to join him in this kingly action of declaring with authority what the right gospel message is And who truly belongs to that, or who I should rather say, and who properly belongs to that. Verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now what's to be done with these keys? whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven then charged he his disciples they should tell no man that he was jesus the christ my understanding of this passage is that christ gives authority to the apostles symbolized by the phrase the keys of the kingdom of heaven Mm -hmm. and the authority is to do precisely what he has done with Peter having done it with Peter he authorizes Peter whatsoever shall bind on earth what, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven the, the true gospel affirmed with uh, Christ from heaven approving authority the false gospel being denounced with Christ from heaven uh, denouncing authority those who belong properly to that gospel affirmed as such identified as such called out as such with christ from on high approving authority those who do not belong marked out as not belonging from christ on high approving authority that's my understanding of what jesus is authorizing the apostles to go out and do Right. You got any comments, questions, thoughts on
1: that? No, uh, I'm sure in a future episode we'll talk more about polity and we'll definitely go into those verses even more. But I think that's good for, for baptism.
0: Okay. Now if we flip over to Matthew 18. I'll show you what this has to do with baptism. Matthew 18. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. There Jesus is in the midst of his church. From on high authority, authorization, approval to wield the keys of the kingdom. The very keys he gave to the apostles in Matthew 16, we see here him approving of the church using the same authority he gave to the apostles, namely the uh, official from on high, from heaven authorization, affirmation of the true confession of faith. And the proper confessors of faith that authority also belongs to the church not individual members in the church right apostles are unique in individually wielding these keys but you see here he calls the church the congregation to do precisely that to wield the keys of the kingdom to mark out the true confession and true confessors and marking them out that the principal way you mark someone out as a believer in the broader context of the con- conversation is through baptism, make disciples of all nations and baptizing them into my name. It doesn't certainly the great commission is not limited to uh, conversion and baptism. It's, it's a full, it's a bringing of the nations into full submission to him, but the kickoff, the kickoff association politically with someone as no longer a liar and a reprobate, but a truth teller belonging to Jesus is baptism. And the church is authorized here to do just that, to baptize, and also then to discipline those who go astray.
1: That's right, yeah. Um, and to steal more Nine Mark's language as we use uh, their proof texts, the uh, the initial oath sign. Baptism is the initial oath sign into the, the covenant community of God.
0: Yeah, well, they, they don't get uh, credit for that, but certainly they use it a lot. That's where I heard it. <laughs> That's
1: where I read it, so... <laughs> We know... Uh, that's how quotes work, so...
0: We, yeah, we know... Well, yeah, well, that's why we don't have to give them credit then. <laughs> it was once said... I know some people that they would probably denounce as heretics that say that all the time. Uh, yeah. Anyway, this... <laughs> opening up a whole nother can of worms. Federal vision. But, uh, okay, so we've got... Recipient, a confessor. We've got Mode. And we didn't even... We didn't even point out kind of the obvious thing that, you know, as much as people want to thumb their nose at this observation, baptizo does mean immersion. And we're going to get back to that when it comes to objections. Trust me. But baptizo does mean immersion. And then when you see uh, baptizers going down, you see immersions. And uh, sorry. So mode is immersion. And we see it being a churchly thing, not just an out and about thing. You know, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch were out in the middle of the desert. The the Ethiopian eunuch was going to a place with no church. So in that sense, when you've outrun the church, uh, you're authorized by Christ to baptize. But then you're planting the seeds of a church in that baptism so that it can properly grow into an assembly. Um, Unless I'm forgetting something, I think we've covered the principles that we should hit talking about baptism as Baptists. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, I feel good about it.
0: Okay, so with that, I do want to uh, take a break to hear from one of our sponsors, uh, and then we'll come back to talk about objections and possible exceptions. Uh, So uh, with that, uh, our sponsor, again, very generously so today, uh, is the Presbyterian Church USA, in conjunction with the PCA celebrating the upcoming Revoice conference. We're very grateful. We look forward. Are you
1: speaking to at yet. it this year?
0: You know what? I was going to, but it conflicts with my teaching schedule, so Bummer. I had to cancel. Yeah. Anyway, we'll be back. Oh, we are successfully back. Thank you so much, PCUSA and PCA, telling us about the upcoming Revoice conference. Honestly, uh, I've got a lot of good guy friends, and I'm excited to learn ways that I can get even more intimately close with them.
1: It's really all about finding out where that line is and then just getting as close as you can to it. That's what obedience always looks like.
0: If I've learned anything from my long 29 years of life is the more you poke around, the less harm comes. (laughs) I'm going to leave that. Yeah. I'm sure you found that too in your pastoral counseling sessions.
1: Still leaving it.
0: All right. Well, I thought it was worth a try. You know, sometimes somebody (laughs) says I'm going to leave something. You just come out from another direction. They totally forget all their defenses.
1: Yeah. With your, I mean, in your own defense, you've just had so much experience poking around. You figure what's one more poke.
0: (laughs) This can't hurt nothing. Uh, Gosh. Okay. I got to leave before I get in trouble. Okay. You almost sent me over the edge there, sugar. (laughs) Okay. I want to hit objections, right? So we've laid out our, our basic framework of, okay, this is positively what we believe. This is what we believe about who should be baptized, how they should be baptized, and really who should do the baptizing. Uh, You know, and we didn't get into this, but being a churchly matter, right? Uh, uh, An ordinance of the church to be granted by the church, effectively bringing someone into the church, um, uh, we think it should be done by the ministers of the church, uh, not by not by family, not by that evangelist that happened to share the gospel with them. Um, and you know, there's more things we could say about what we believe about baptism. Specifically, we could take more time to talk about it as an oath sign. Uh, but for the sake of time, I want to hit objections, and I got two objections that come to my mind. Two objection texts so to speak okay if you have have any more feel free to put them on the table let's see if we can give them a fair answer okay sounds good then so both of us have plenty of presbyterian friends we respect definitely one objection that we are certainly going to hear not just from presbyterians actually but from some baptists i know will be that my kind of throw in assertion at the end that baptizo means immersion that the word means immersion, so it makes sense that all the times we see it used for ceremony, it's immersive, uh, seeing as it means it. Uh, you know, one objection will be, well, hey, in the New Testament, let me see if I can find the citation. Uh, you'll probably be able to look it up. It's somewhere in Mark 7. But in, in Mark 7, we have a reference to couches being baptized. Okay? We're gonna look so at what being baptized? Bit. Uh, couches. See if we can find that real quick. Is it Mark seven? Uh, it'll definitely be in the King James.
1: Oh gosh. Mark seven, four.
0: Are you kidding me? I did it again. I looked all the way down to the thirties. And when they come from the market, except they wash it, they eat not, and many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Uh, is, that, is that what we're looking for? Let's see if pull it up in Greek. Well, oh gosh, regardless. It's never good of a podcast where you're having to do research on the fly. But... Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, this is what I'm looking for. It's washing
1: a, of a, cups is, is a reference to sprinkling, as I'm assuming where that's going?
0: <laughs> no, that'd be funny. But uh, that the washing of, of you see that end of, of tables? Correct, yeah. Right, so another way to translate that would be couches. Right. And, and I'm pretty sure a more than fair translation, okay? Now, uh, I didn't come into this objection Really looking into that nuance, but it's it's just one I hear. The citation of couches, this is what's being cited. I'm going to grant all the fairness in the world because I'm not really worried about if it's tables or couches or, or, or whichever one for the sake of right. this objection. But let's just go with with couches, okay? Now I can immerse a cup. I can immerse a pot. So oh, – and also just uh, grant me that the washing we're talking about is a is a baptizing. It's a baptizo. Okay.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, that's the thing. I could look it up in the Greek right now, but this is the this is the place decided. I'm just going to grant the Presbyterian looked up the word before me, which is why he's bringing the objection to me in the first place.
1: Yeah, should have uh, verified right about that.
0: And so, cup immersible, pot immersible, brazen vessel immersible, couch. Baptizo has to mean immerse. They're saying you should immerse a couch. Are you kidding me? Obviously, this is a ceremonial ceremonial cleansing that involves sprinkling. What are you talking about, immersing a couch? Do you know how unrealistic that is? And as someone that's delivered many a couch in my day, I have no interest in immersing any of those couches. It also would dramatically reduce their value.
1: And increase their weight coming out. Significantly.
0: Here's my, my answer to that objection. You tell me what you think of it. Give me an honest.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, you know, I don't want to like, uh, I don't want it to 100%. Work. I have no desire to dog any Presbyterians. They do so much good work. So that's, that's not what we're here to do.
0: That's right. My big thing is, man, it seems like you're bringing a lot of assumptions about what kind of couch we're talking about here. That that couch would, first of all, be similar to our couches in size and weight. And then, and then even... Uh, you know in the deep you could get into the details of even if you know if it was a, a smaller uh, wooden frame you could recline on first of all it's a small wooden frame not hard to immerse legitimately so second of all if we're just talking about untying whatever cushions you've tied to it and immersing them super easy so that it without having to do a lot of stretching which let's be real i haven't stretched in years uh, I'm pretty sure I can immerse that couch. So I don't have to get into these, uh, uh, well, textual variants and it's actually not in the original blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. I don't need a textual variant. I can take table. I can take couch. I can take anything right there and I can put that in the water. I honestly think that, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm fine with that. And I mean, again, you know, talking about what we were talking about earlier, I, and I think, I don't know any Presbyterian that I respect and have talked with that would want to do this, but, but, I would I would just want to take this in the context of everything we brought up, the examples of Jesus's baptism, uh, what the word is. And so when, when the word is what it is, uh, that actually should be the assumption. It should be uh, we should have a difficulty in our conscience to wiggle out of this idea of immersion, if that's what the word actually means. And then when we have all these examples. And then I think a decent amount of theology that backs up this idea of being uh, submerged in the waters of judgment and coming out uh, clean in the resurrection of Christ. Uh, I would want to take all of that into this text, as I know, like, again, I'm not trying to in any way say that a Presbyterian would not be okay with me doing that. But I think when you do that, uh, it becomes pretty clear. And then, uh, you know, like you said, it's, you know, I can get that underwater and that's, that's what cleanness was for the Jews. Uh, you know, I was reading Gil on uh, a similar topic and he was, he was talking about how, you know, if, if uh, a Jew had his whole body in water and left one finger above the water, he was unclean. You know, it required, it required this, you know, a full, a full washing, a full immersion in order to be considered clean.
0: Any other points you want to make before we move on? Nope. Okay. Let's go to First Corinthians 7. Okay, go ahead and read 7.14 for us.
1: 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now, they, now are they holy.
0: Okay, so this is relevant. Uh, it's a relevant verse because Presbyterians are going to, they should go here as a basis for arguing that the, um, the status of a child of a believer is objectively different and objectively one of holiness such that that child should be baptized. It's a very straightforward argument. It definitely needs to be brought up anytime a Presbyterian is engaging a Baptist, but let's deal with this first because unless the Presbyterian is willing to do a few things that I don't see many Presbyterians willing to do, uh, I don't think it really is a good counterverse to what we said about who the proper recipient of baptism is. So the last objection we raised was dealing with mode. This is focused more uh, as an objection on the recipient, okay? That's right. We're told that the children of a believer, the children of a believer, though formerly unclean, now because of having a believing parent are holy. So prior to the conversion of a parent, the children are unclean. They're pagan children. And now they are holy. There's something objectively different that is an undeniable truth from this verse. and We got to understand it, but you can't understand it, you know, by dancing around it, ignoring it as a way of saving your system. Now, here's the issue. Before we jump to saying, therefore, that means we should baptize children. Before we go to that conclusion, we should consider what else the verse says. Just as the children of a converted parent were unclean. So too was the spouse of that now believer unclean. And now the spouse, by virtue of being married to a believer, is sanctified, right? For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. So notice too there, Paul doesn't leave it open to the idea that, hey, okay, Paul's a patriarchalist. So too are we, we put it on our website. A husband becomes a believer, he's the head of his household. Well, naturally, as the chief of his household, his wife, his children, shoot, even his slaves, are now consecrated, sanctified, set apart, holy. Pretty easy argument to make there from a patriarchal standpoint, except Paul heads that off by saying it goes both ways. If the wife becomes a believer and the husband is not a believer... Explicitly, he's an unbelieving husband, but he's sanctified by the wife. So we really do have to – we have to consider what that means because if if we're saying, okay, the children, irrespective of their personal faith or any kind of confession of personal faith, should be baptized because the parent is a believer, then you have to be willing at the same time to baptize – And identified as unbelieving husband. He says, I'm an unbeliever. I'm not a believer. I'm not not interested in leaving this woman. I don't want a divorce. I want to live with her. She's my high school sweetheart. I dig her. I think this whole Christian thing is weird. I'm not a believer. If you're going to automatically baptize the child because of the logic of this verse, it seems, and I don't want to misrepresent the position, but it would seem... From my reading, you'd have to be willing to convince this guy to get baptized, even though he is identifying as an unbeliever. And then having baptized him with the children, you have to bring them to the table because baptized go to the table. So a guy that's not even saying is a believer, you're saying come to the table as a matter of righteousness. You need to because you've been baptized. I mean – uh as a Baptist, I don't think you have to read the verse like that, namely that those in family tie to a believer now are baptized. I don't think you have to, so I don't think you have to deal with these issues. But it seems like if you want to say that being made holy by virtue of a family tie to a believer means you need to get baptized, then Presbyterian churches should be baptizing unbelieving husbands. And who's doing that?
1: And do you really want to do that? Yeah, that's right. I think, uh, like we we talked about, right at the right out the gate, uh, still needing this uh, this positive declaration as to who is to be baptized and what they're to do to be baptized. So whether or not somebody's set apart, uh, even in even in some type of covenantal relation to Christ, uh, we, that's not establishing uh, whether or not they should be baptized. Uh, and interestingly enough, and I think we'll save. Uh, Wait, say that
0: this- say that again. That's really important to say. I know you said it in the first half but say that it, people need to hear that.
1: Uh, the covenantal part? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we're okay with uh, a level of covenantal relation to Christ uh, apart from baptism. Baptism is for, uh, as we established in the first half of this episode, baptism is for those who have uh, repented of sin, turned to Christ in faith, and so now are uh, declaring that publicly by uh, this act of immersion into water, dying uh, in Christ's death, you, your sins being laid down and, uh, raising to newness of life in the power of his resurrection. So that's being declared in baptism. And if that's not, uh, if that's not being professed by the individual, that individual is not to receive baptism. Uh, that's not to say that there's no covenantal relation to Christ for that individual. Uh, but it's not, it's not baptism,
0: which is going to bring blessing. There's certainly going to be blessing. Absolutely. Being the child of a believer, Uh, being married to a believer, because that spouse is going to be way better than an unbelieving spouse greater, greater
1: grace and, great, and if, great, that, if that is that if judgment. that sounds uh if that sounds weird you know and this is a little bit of a sidetrack but hopefully it's helpful uh that might sound weird or it might sound kind of uh you know capricious on god's part it's like oh you're going to give them these blessings but if they don't have christ like what does that mean well uh it's setting them them up to hear the gospel more it, it is a rich blessing and we see this in everybody's life we see this in every single unbeliever. Uh, Every—it's not like those are the only—it's not like those who are in covenantal relation to Christ but not baptized are the only people in the world receiving grace that uh, may turn out to not be uh, salvific, right? Uh, everybody on the earth is is receiving grace upon grace upon grace day in and day out from God. None of us deserve a single breath, uh, and so uh, all that grace will lead to judgment for those who don't repent of their sins and exactly. turn to Christ. Uh, it will, it will turn to judgment, but that doesn't, that doesn't take away in the slightest from the grace that it is. It's whatever Uh, degree one receives
0: grace. It only amplifies the degree of judgment. If that grace is refused.
1: That's right. And that's because we're responsible for our sin. Even women, uh, come back to me on that. No, even women,
0: you want to check with your wife on that real quick.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like to check with my wife before I say anything. Yeah. Um, you know, one interesting thing, yeah. we can leave it for another time, the, the writers of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, uh, they have an appendix on baptism in their confession. Uh, very well written. I encourage uh, any and all who have any interest to read it, uh, even just to see their deep desire. It's a, a burning in their heart to be uh, very uh, Catholic in the ecumenical sense with, uh, with their Presbyterian Reformed brothers, uh, which is really encouraging. Uh, but they would actually see first corinthians seven fourteen uh they would actually say it would require both parents to be uh Christian, both parents to be set apart holy for the children to be holy in the first place, which is an interesting point of view. I was reading that today uh, in preparing to talk about this and i I found that interesting. I hadn't heard that perspective before.
0: Well, we are definitely going to have to visit that, and I clearly am not uh by any means a Baptist scholar but a Baptist junk man because. I did not know they said that, so I look forward to engaging that yeah, in a future episode. Pretty
1: cool. But in terms of in terms of uh, what we're interacting with now, I think we've clearly established kind of what we think about uh, that objection. Really, uh, you know, we'd have some pushback just in terms of application for the one who wants to apply that to uh, baptizing those individuals in terms of consistency, like you laid out, Dave. Uh, but even apart from that, it doesn't really force our hand in terms of what we'd want to do, uh, what we feel like we need to do in terms of a baptism. Uh, for those who are considered to be holy.
0: Okay, I got one more objection, and then if you have any, you can put them on the table. We, then we can move to uh, application exceptions. My last objection okay. that I want to address is, uh, you know, so we were up at Christ Church uh, on Sunday at the end of Grace Agenda, and then uh-huh. they they did uh, for the sake of this podcast, they did a po- uh, they did a baptism, but they they sprinkled a baby, right? And we can talk about whether or not we're calling that a baptism, right? Uh-huh. In, in the exception thing, but you know they sprinkled a baby, and you know, we're sitting with our our Baptist posse, and I'm pretty sure they scheduled it just because they knew that we were coming. <laughs> and so the objection, the last one that we should deal with is, didn't you think that was cute?
1: Uh It's objectively cute, like super cute.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's so it just so happens that that baby's grandfather is also an ordained minister, and so was licensed. To do that baptism. So it was the grandpa doing the baptism and he had a French accent, which just made it cuter because while younger French guys are not cute, older French guys kind of have extra <laughs> cute factor.
1: <laughs> and then uh, maybe he'll be at Revoice.
0: Oh, no. did
1: you you say, didn't link up with him.
0: Did you say that about that guy?
1: No, because you said he was cute.
0: Yeah, but he's like a grandfather in the faith, man. Like, Yeah, I just he, thought maybe – yeah, uh, no,
1: it's more for you. Like I hope, like oh, maybe you could link up. No,
0: I'll be at Revoice, but man, the, leave Gramps out of this. Maybe his son. <laughs> no, he did.
1: He did great. It was cool to have him at church, and it was another thing that was uh, not so much cute, but truly beautiful about uh, you know that ceremony, especially the way churches like Christ Church uh, treat baptism because they link it with the Lord's Supper. They have this. Uh, what I really appreciate about their uh, demeanor with the whole thing is this this intentionality to keep the kids in the service. Uh, you know, church is for uh, the children, uh, they are to be a, a part of it. And that family, as an example, that family that was having their youngest daughter, uh, baptized, uh, no, knew what it was about, you know, the blessing that it is to have children. So I think there were like three or four kids up there with them. It was just beautiful to see, uh, the whole family up there. Also grandfather and son, though French, I think both
0: carry guns. So, you know, all jokes nice. were about my own, uh, Flaming. oh yeah 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 oh, i got no shade
1: for for uh J- for just to make it very family. clear
0: we love those guys we love the work they're doing <laughs> with classical education and reformation work among the french i'm the flamer that will be a revoice let's make that clear <laughs> yeah i
1: apologize if that wasn't clear Dave uh, is the flamer.
0: i'm the guy having to do some like cleanup work after a joke you know things have turned
1: upside down or at least we know that you're a little bit nervous
0: yeah <laughs> well, I'm at revoice, right? So, of course, I'm nervous. Uh, <laughs> any other objections that we should hit, or do you want to move to exceptions?
1: Let's move to exceptions.
0: Okay. So, I'm going to start with, it's kind of a blend of application and exception. Uh, you'll see what I mean. Would you ever rebaptize someone? It's intentionally worded that way to kind of be annoying, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, I, I got you. Uh, the reason it's annoying, in case you're not catching that in, in Dave's language, is... Uh, part of that depends on how we're going to define baptism. And so, you know, Baptists want to be able to, or some Baptists want to be able to say that they, you know, wouldn't rebaptize somebody. Uh, and the reason they wouldn't uh, is because they would not consider uh, paedo-baptism or sometimes even just a baptism by sprinkling, you know, depending on who you're talking to, uh, as a baptism. And therefore they would say, you know, even though somebody has uh, been baptized as a child or, made a credible profession of faith uh but the baptized in an uh insufficient manner an insufficient mode uh they technically have never been baptized uh and i
0: think we, this- we don't want to re-baptize someone in the sense that you know we do believe baptism is a one baptism
1: there's one baptism
0: you know, right we're not anabaptists in that sense yeah which so, is another annoying factor i was trying to you know spread on that piece right. of jam and right those-
1: right and so I'll, I'll get there now so i'll actually i will say I don't want to rebaptize somebody who has uh, made a profession of faith in uh, in the Triune God and in uh, and in the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. So, not just the Triune God. I'm not talking about Catholics. Yep. I'm talking about uh, the Triune God and in, in the saving gospel of, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, if they've made a a, prof- a credible profession, uh, I want I do not want to rebaptize uh, those individuals.
0: Well, yeah. Specify what you mean there, right?
1: So there's going to be people what are you counting who, as baptism. Uh, good question. Uh, I'm going to count. Uh, I'm going to say for for this portion of uh, you know exceptions, I'm going to say I'm I'm talking about immersion. So immersion by um, yeah, I'm just going to leave it at leave it at immersion.
0: Okay. Well. So what are you saying? You're saying you're not going to rebaptize someone who was baptized by another church in immersion upon confession of their faith.
1: That's right. Yeah, I want to I want to honor a faith faithful gospel minister who administered that baptism. Uh, and if somebody, like if if a particular individual thinks, ah, when I look back, you know, I, when I look back ten years, when I got that, when I received that baptism, uh, in hindsight. I wasn't really walking with Christ.
0: Oh, I understand what you're saying. I thought I was like, wait, why are you having to specify you wouldn't do that? That's like that's like a layup. I get yeah, it. So let's want, say let's say I'm baptized at 13. That, so. Right. Right. And and I'm baptized by a uh, a minister of the gospel in a church. I walk away in my testimony sharing, I'm not sure when I was born again. That's what you're talking about.
1: Right. And so I'd want to I want to borrow from the Presbyterians in terms of, uh, I think helpful language they use in terms of calling somebody to their baptism, uh, in terms of if somebody wanted to, you know, say they were walking away for a season and, and now want to rebapt. I, I would say, no, this is, this is what baptism is. It's not, you're not gonna, you know, 10 years from now, you're going to be more sanctified, Lord willing. And so, you know, you're going to look back and you may think certain things about where you're walking now, but, uh, if it's a, if it meets the qualifications for what, for what baptism is, uh, you know, what it means to believe Jesus with a whole heart is going to mean more and more as we go on in life. And so, yeah, and- I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to get to, you know, staring at our own navels on uh, how credible was our profession when we made it. The question is more, was it a credible profession? Uh, you know, was it administered by uh, a faithful church? Those kind of those are better questions to ask uh, rather than uh, how sincere was I in my confession?
0: All right, so just to, just to make sure I'm, I'm clarifying, right? So when we're talking about true and well-formed, rightly-formed, regular, we're talking about true believer, true confession, public profession in baptism from a minister on behalf of a church into a church by immersion.
1: Yeah, that is a, that is a regular baptism.
0: Now, if someone comes to you a guy comes to you and he says i really don't think i was born again i truly and honestly don't and here's why and he lists out reasons why and i now do think i am born again and so i want to be baptized you're going to tell him no because as far as the eye could see everything was in order when the baptism was done prior And because as far as the eye could see, everything was done and done in order. It was done in truth, even though there were some irregularities. And so a true political reality was brought about as a, that you're now calling him to conform to. Is that what you're saying?
1: That's exactly right. Uh, You know, Christians backslide, uh, even our confessions talk about that. There's,
0: I sure did. That's huge in my testimony. Yeah.
1: There's room for that. And so, uh, I just don't want, again, I don't want to be second guessing um, levels of sincerity. Uh, Let's look at the, let's be as objective about it as we can.
0: Well, what if that former minister was a Southern Baptist? (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) What if he was an X 29 guy? That's okay. Depending. (laughs) Wow. You are being very generous tonight. Okay. Uh, Okay. So let's, let's press. So we kind of naturally are in, you move straight through the cheek you're now naturally in, you know, parts of a true and regular baptism becoming irregular. Right. So let's press it. Well, let's press it further. Okay. And let's, let's press it into the realm of, uh, well, you know, so once you, okay, well, I'm I'm teaching science and I'm not very good at it, but uh, we're talking about controlled experiments. Now you want to have independent and dependent variables and and the like. So let me, let me limit the things I change with each example. So let's stick to the question of whether or not the individual being baptized is proper. Okay. So at first we question it because he doesn't think he was born again, but at least outwardly, everything was in order He seemed to be acting according to his will to confess Jesus Christ and publicly professed it in an immersion, you know, by a minister from a church. Okay. Now, press it further. Now he's a baby of a believer and he is immersed. (laughs) Okay. So we're not going to mess around with the mode yet. He's immersed, he's a baby and he's baptized at a church that believes the gospel, Trinitarian church, not one of those Pentecostal Unitarian churches. And but and he's immersed. And uh, he's, so he says that I was baptized. Are you taking that as a baptism?
1: Uh, no, I'm not going to take that as a baptism. Uh, to say it bluntly. There's, I think there's more to talk about there, but no, I'm not going to take that as a baptism right out the gate.
0: Which means he couldn't join your church.
1: Uh, yeah. So that's actually not, that's not what I mean by it. Um, in terms of, uh, well, wait,
0: what's the distinction.
1: So I'm going to make my pitch, uh, as to what baptism is, but if a guy's coming from a, a faithful Presbyterian church, uh, this is the way we've done, uh, membership at our church now. And yeah, I'm absolutely willing to, uh, you know, open to correction on it and open to thinking more about it. But, uh, I'm going to make my pitch as to what baptism is. And if he's open, if he's coming from a faithful Presbyterian church and he's, you know, I win him, I win him on that. Uh, then I will, uh, I will baptize him with a, with a proper baptism, him or her. Uh, but if they have, uh, strong convictions, uh, of the, the Pado Baptist bent, uh, I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna undermine, I'm not gonna basically, uh, forbid a Presbyterian from uh, joining me at the Lord's Supper, if I can uh, see that he does have a credible profession of faith, he's walking in line with that profession of faith, everything I would expect from a member of my church, Uh, and he's received what I would consider an irregular uh, baptism, just as I would consider, you know, so that that church as a whole, that Presbyterian church he's coming from, administers one of the uh, the sacraments irregularly, right? But I still consider it a, a true church. Uh, I still consider him a true believer, and I want I want all true believers to be able to be a, members of my church.
0: Okay, so I think I might be seeing an inconsistency in your position. Yeah, go for it. I'm going to point it out. You tell me if I'm misunderstanding you. Sure. So we've we've jumped off the silly instance where it's a baby and he's getting immersed. We're just talking about – so we're talking about regular Presbyterian, pedo-baptism at this point, right? Maybe yeah. he's sprinkled. Okay, you messed up the recipient. Let's just go ahead and mess up the mode and have a ball. Okay, now, it doesn't
1: really make a difference for me. So it doesn't
0: because we're we're talking about Presbyterians. Yeah. So let's forget, uh, you know, let's forget the the hypothetical faithful Eastern Orthodox guy that's not going to be there. Let's talk yeah. about let's talk about some uh, Reformed Presbyterian brothers that they're, they're sprinkling their babies. Okay, now. Uh. You and I agree that we want to call them a true church. Yep. And that they're taking, you know, assuming they got some bread and wine, joke intended there, we're we're going to grant they've been taking the actual Lord's Supper. <laughs> right? Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, even that they're administering to people who haven't technically received baptism by our standards. So both would be administered incorrectly irregularly but
0: right right okay so okay i'll stick to the true church then all right so true church right so the question is uh you know what is necessary for a true church to exist right and the traditional understanding of what makes a true church a true true church
1: Preaching of the uh, word, administration of the sacraments.
0: 100%. So the preaching of the word, uh, you know, even if it's not preaching that we prefer,
1: uh-huh.
0: but true preaching of the word, true gospel, and the administering the sacraments. So if we are calling in a true church, we're in the same breath granting that even if irregular, it has in truth the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm tracking with you.
0: I mean, and you know, so we, we, you know, we were in Revelation, we got the church in Sardis, robes are being put on that can be so soiled as to be lost, names taken out of the book of life, you know, like not the book of election, but the book of the covenant, people apostatizing, people who were baptized and so granted these robes, walking away from the faith and losing the robes. You know, you we've we've had conversations where, okay, if this text we're looking at the application of the Sardesian warning to churches today, any church, we would we would think, okay, so both the Presbyterian Church and the Baptist Church, you have people who have politically assumed robes that we're going to then call them to walk in a manner of, right? I, I got a guy that's growing up and he got sprinkled as a baby. Well, I'm so I'm going to call him to walk in a manner worthy of the political reality that has been ascribed to you him, really? and if he doesn't. He's soiling something that he's received politically and and covenantally and walked away from it. Now, that's assuming I'm going to grant that that's a true baptism, though significantly irregular, but it seems that I can't do anything but say it's a true baptism if I'm willing to call it a true church because you have to grant the theoretical possibility that everyone there was, you know, paedo-baptized, that maybe they're in a really small town and they don't have new converts yet, Right we want to call that, you know, Calvinist gospel preaching church true. We're binding ourselves, it seems, in the use of true to say true gospel and true sacraments, even if we want to hold our nose at the sacraments. Sure. I don't see any way
1: around that. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Uh, I guess for me, I, I, I still feel comfortable with the, uh, funny enough, and so convince me otherwise, uh, I feel comfortable with the, like the inconsistency And I guess it just maybe there needs to be a language change in terms of like true church. I forget the language that uh, Nine Marks uses to describe. Well, it's uh, not
0: it's not their language again. (laughs) You know, is just traditional. It's just traditional. language. You have true and false churches and then you have true and regular, true and irregular.
1: So can I call them a true and irregular church?
0: Well, that's what I would want to do.
1: Well, yeah, I'm fine with that.
0: Well, but here's the rub. Here's where I was thinking the consistency is, right? So if we're calling it true and irregular, then though irregular, that baptism we're having to grant is true, as in it truly granted the political status of Christian, truly granted them uh, belonging to a true church, uh, reception at the table and reception at our table and and even having reception at our table, reception to our membership, which is the... Well, that's what we're discussing, but reception to their table, reception to our table, which should mean reception to our membership. Right. Always. If we're saying it's true and irregular, then is it not a rebaptism?
1: Right. So the, yeah, I guess, wouldn't you I be guess, saying yeah, I, I want question... to
0: regularize your irregular baptism, but it was a yeah. baptism. So I am rebaptized Right.
1: So it does kind of take off the table, really, even if that was the position to take, then that, that would take off the table the option of even making that pitch of, hey, I, this is what I think baptism is. And therefore, I think you should receive this baptism uh, because yours was, you know, irregular. But yeah, like you said, if, if we're irregular, it gives it too much validity to really allow to do that. You're, you're undermining something that you're
0: proclaiming somewhere else. I would definitely where I would agree with you in terms of needing to make a pitch is because I am not going to be baptizing their nonverbal baby.
1: Right. I'll yeah. So I guess that's world. where the, the rub. The rub would basically come is where where it really forces us to act uh, positively against our convictions in terms of receiving a, a Presbyterian family or Pato Baptist family into the church and what they would want to see in the future with their children. we need to make that uh, clear as to what we're not going to do. Exactly. You get this rub as a Baptist,
0: you know, you know, with all your puritan zeal for purity you get a rub just by receiving a presbyterian family because hopefully they haven't been using birth control because they're consistent presbyterians so they've got a bunch of already sprinkled babies and so if you're going to say true and irregular church you're having to say true and irregular sacrament and so truly but irregularly baptized children so you're going to be having kids that normally you wouldn't have baptized and welcome to the table welcome to your table because right. baptist we believe that baptism is to the table we're not weird pca guys slicing and dicing all over the Bible, even worse than dispensationalists, right? But then even in that family, you're, interesting, like, you're, you're introducing a weird rub. Well, you're already in a weird spot as, as the Baptist because you're uncomfortable with it. But if you're going to grant irregularity, I think that means you have to grant it. As much as I hate that, and I used to argue against that back in my purest days, right? Right. But, but you're you're asking that family to come to a weird spot because let's say they keep having babies. Well, the pitch you're having to make then is in joining the church. This is how we do baptism and why, and this is why we think it's good for your family and why it's good for your family. Even though some of your kids will already been baptized. We're going to ask some of them to wait until they're actually confessing.
1: Right.
0: Now the the uh... positive thing with that is that likely by the time that kid is thinking that's awkward that he's not baptized and Billy, his older brother's baptized, he's probably going to be able to confess the gospel and we can probably Mm -hmm. get the boy wet.
1: Right. Yeah. And, uh, and interestingly, in reading uh, the appendix on baptism from the 1689, uh, the writers of the 1689 confession, uh, this is actually something that they were split on uh, in terms of uh, their consciences as to what it meant to, you know, who they were really able to, to welcome to their table. Uh, they actually did have a, uh, some level of split. They're not, it's not clear. It's clear enough in the language to see that there were some who uh, were willing to have uh, Pado baptist members of their church and so likely wrestled with this exact same scenario or similar ones, and then uh, guys who were more of the, the purest bent.
0: Yeah, um, Nehemiah Knox, uh, n- not, not Nehemiah Knox, Nehemiah Cox, famously uh, was against mixed membership. And I think it caused somewhat of a tiff. It's not exactly clear, but he definitely had to apologize before his church in uh, at Bedford Baptist Church for causing some kind of divisiveness. And I think it was because at, uh, was, it, was it Bedford? Yeah, is that that was uh, that was Bunyan's church? I believe so. Yeah, so uh, at Bunyan's church, Bunyan's church had mixed membership; those credo and those paido baptized. And and Knox, not Knox, Cox, Cox, like his father, was very insistent on the necessity of credo baptism for membership. And I think that was in line with Kiffin. Uh, but then Bunyan famously, and I used to look down on him for this, and I've changed my mind. Cause I, I, I feel his pain and what he's working through. And I think where I'm at as much of a, you know, if I was going to be one of the disciples being brought in, Jesus looking at the tax collector, right? He's looking at the fisherman. Where's Jesus going to find me? I'm definitely the guy rocking around with Simon, the zealot. Like I'm the terrorist, right? My, my inclinations, my personality is uh, no quarter, never. Uh, This is what the Bible says. This is what baptism is. It's, it's something different than what you're saying. So yours is false. That's, that's my inclination. But uh-huh. in of these realities, it's just like, uh, I don't think I get to say that now where I get, I can situate it in all my zeal for uh, terroristic world domination. Uh, hopefully the, you know, whatever intelligence agency doesn't misinterpret that actually listens to the entirety of the uh, podcast to understand what I mean. I'm talking about Simon the Zealot. It's a Bible joke, poorly put in light of the recent, uh, Muslim activity around the world. But, uh, where, where it puts it in my really post-millennial view for the world is that as the church grows up, the church is going to be credo-baptist. I actually do believe that, even though a lot of the post-mill guys I know are pedo-baptists. I do think as the church grows up outside – you know, out of its young age, it's going to grow into more and more unity and doctrine and practice, including uh, universal – one day universal credo-baptism. I do believe that. And so then where does it situate these kind of weird, like it's true and irregular, what is this mix? This like ah tension I've got to work through. Is that compromise? Is it unfaithful? All of that, I think is just the reality of growing pains for the church that we work through as we press towards unity in faith and practice. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, I think it, uh, I think it sounds great. I, uh, it's, it's a newer, it's a newer thought for me and one that was definitely stirred up in talking to some of the guys about, um, some of the guys up in Moscow about what they're doing and, uh, what it's like to be a part of, you know, they're, they have a uh, mixed, uh, denomination or presbytery. It's, it doesn't feel like a presbytery now that I know what, what they do in terms of, uh, polity, but, uh, the CREC has, you know, Baptists and Presbyterians in it. And so, it's definitely, you know, caused us to wrestle through some of these issues a little bit more. But I think I feel pretty comfortable with those distinctions. And I'm, I'm
0: very much willing to, you know, be rebuked in these things and corrected, and 100%. you know, have my mind illuminated. I, I I'm not uh, speaking as if I've arrived. I'm speaking in light of what I know and and trying to put that into best practice possible. Last thing in terms of exception, let's say you've got a gal, she comes to you, she says that, um, you know, back in the day, uh at a youth event a lady shares the gospel with her and this lady youth leader uh, baptized her at a youth camp Are you taking that
1: No, I'm not going to take that.
0: Yeah, okay, cool. We we have a conviction somewhere at least.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's a term there's a term when for that I think it's just uh, sorry bubbers.
0: Oh, yeah. So we we're not even rebaptizing that. We're just baptizing that, huh?
1: Yeah. That's just, we just, somebody needs a baptism.
0: Yeah. And, and just in case someone missed it, what, what what's different between that and the true irregular distinction we're making? Why are we calling that a false? Uh,
1: we're not talking about, we're not talking about a faithful gospel minister. So we have, we have these faithful gospel ministers, uh, who are administering it in a way that we don't think, uh, represents what baptism is described in the, as in the new Testament, uh, But with that, we're not even we're not talking about a faithful gospel minister. Uh, We're certainly not talking about some small exception where church is not an option. Uh, You know, for like an example, like you talked about outrunning the church with the eunuch. Uh, We're talking about a female. uh, So therefore not qualified to be a minister Uh, and then definitely not a faithful minister in a gospel preaching church. Uh, So she has she has no business administering a baptism.
0: You got any last words of uh, wisdom, grace, and truth for all of our listeners, Sugar Sean?
1: Uh, no, I just, uh, I, appreciate, I appreciate everyone listening. and Basically, I hope, as Dave said, you know, we're, especially on topics like this, just coming to new convictions, thinking through things. You can definitely tell, even just from this podcast, that it's been us kind of thinking through uh, what the implications of certain truths are, how we want to implement those, uh, in our church, Lord willing, in our church plant very soon. Uh, and so truly, uh, you know, ask Stone Mountain uh, at, at com. right? So yeah, any any rebukes or just further questions, uh, things that would be helpful in terms of clarification, uh, shoot that over to us. Uh, as long as it's in good faith, we are, uh, and we'll interact with things that aren't in good faith. You just might not like the way we interact with it. Um, but if it's in good faith, uh, we've got no problem uh, interacting with that kind of stuff. Uh, growing ourselves, helping you in any way we can. Uh, so we, yeah, we just appreciate any, uh, any and all feedback on that regard.
0: You want to close this out?
1: Yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll be looking more at uh, more at baptism, more at uh, you know these church uh, these church ordinances as we work through the confession. Uh, for now, we're going to leave it uh, with this uh, these true and irregular uh, distinctions. Hopefully, they're helpful to you. Uh, Again, we really appreciate uh, you guys listening. Uh, Until next time, go with God.